0: Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Travelcast, episode 58. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, it's been a while since we've had a Drabble on the show, and this is The Drabblecast. I'd like to remind listeners that Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is by Nathan Barnes, and it's called Only Cold. Only Cold. Slipping down the street, hugging corners and pausing in doorways, a figure cautiously crept toward the yawning crater. Long-abandoned buildings slumped languidly, lording over vacant lots and burnt-out husks of former neighbors while shunning the darkness that came from the crater. Peering over the edge, The figure saw nothing more than the rock and charred debris one would expect from the smoldering pit of an object fallen from the sky. No glowing thing, no precious metal, no shining prize, only cold. The closest buildings watched as the figure reached into the crater, and in a wink of light, was gone. Well, our feature story this week is called Eggs by Matthew Bay. Matthew is a writer and editor in Austin, Texas. He co-edits the print sign, Space Squid, and the fiction page of RevolutionSF.com. There you can also read his blog, the eponymous Zombie Lap Dance. So, without further ado, Eggs by Matthew Bay. Phil was in the veterinarian's waiting room when his cat liquefied. It was easily the most upsetting thing he had ever seen. He sat in an institutional-style love seat, brushing at the puddling remains of Mr. Prissy Pants, the orange tabby pouring out of his lap in a stream of cat hair and innards. Phil looked at his hands. Along with the sticky gore, tiny white worms wiggled between his fingers and, too small for his eyes to see, 776,231 eggs. Dimly, he heard the receptionist calling the doctor into the waiting room. The other pet owners picked up their animals and backed away. "'Don't touch anything!' shouted Dr. Wong. She bustled into the waiting room, an energetic wad of decisiveness. A pair of interns followed at her heels. "'Julie, lock down the office and confiscate those animals!' A gray-haired old woman clutched her frizzy poodle to her chest. She wailed, Don't take my boobaloo! Dr. Wong shook her head grimly. I am required by law to euthanize all animals exposed to webworms. The woman with the poodle made a mad dash for the exit, only to be body-checked by an intern. The high school girl, who volunteered four times a week due to an unbridled passion for kittens, yanked the poodle from the woman's grasp and turned the bolt on the front door. Look what you've done, you moron. Dr. Wong stood by the mess that remained of Mr. Prissypants, staring coldly at Phil, and by association the 10,435-611 microscopic eggs spilled on his person. What were you thinking, bringing webworms into my clinic? I, I don't know. Phil opened and closed his mouth, holding his worm-encrusted hands awkwardly away from his body. They told me to bring him right in. I had an appointment. Dr. Wong glared at the receptionist, who cringed behind the desk. Idiot. She leaned over the coffee table and grabbed Phil by the back of his collar. Get into the prep room. We need to wash you off and destroy your pants. And for God's sake, don't touch anything. Phil stumbled after her, and a mat of Mr. Prissy Pants's skin with 639 insisted larvae slipped to the floor, my pants? Yes, your filthy pants! Dr. Wong tugged him into the back room. Behind him, people meekly surrendered their pets to the interns. Although no one said it out loud, they all hated Phil's guts. Phil walked home in his boxers. He would have driven, but Dr. Wong had confiscated his pants without giving him a chance to retrieve his keys or wallet. He correctly assumed it was a deliberate act of vindictiveness. The cotton slacks now rested in a thick biohazard bag in the dumpster behind the clinic. Eight ribworm eggs had lodged in the treads of his sneakers, but they fell harmlessly to the sidewalk as he walked home. Phil had to break a window to get into his apartment. The scrubbing had killed all the eggs on his person, but he still couldn't bear to touch anything, so he sat on the couch in the dark, thinking about all the times he had given Mr. Prissypants a big, wet smooch. On Phil's lap lay two glossy pamphlets Dr. Wong had handed him before she kicked him out. They were titled, Fifteen Things Your Pet Wants You to Know About Ribworm, and So Your Pet Has Ribworm. The pamphlets were small with authoritative typeface, and he had all but memorized them on the walk home. Ribworm is an off world parasite that attacks the digestive and muscular systems of most mammals, including humans. It is believed to have circumvented quarantine inside a Greek merchant mariner in two thousand sixty three. Ribworm is particularly problematic due to the caustic digestive. The phone rang. Gingerly, Phil fished it out of his shirt pocket, holding it between his thumb and forefinger. Hello? Hey Phil, it's Gloria. What's going on? Once you establish that your pet indeed has ribworm, you must dispose of it promptly. Do not bring your pet to a veterinary facility. Mr. Prissypants just died. Oh no, that's so sad. I'm sorry, was he sick? For the past three days, he was barely moving. Place your pet in a triple-ply plastic bag and discard it with your regular waste service, or bury it in a hole no less than four feet deep. The discomfort your pet will feel as it suffocates will be humane compared to the suffering it will experience as ribworms digest it from the inside. I'm so sorry, Phil. I liked Mr. PrissyPants. He was a good cat. Yeah, I liked him too. Do they know what it was? He had ribworms. Ribworms are rare in humans. A host must ingest either insisted muscle tissue or eggs passed through the feces of an infected animal, neither of which is likely under normal circumstances. Nevertheless, sanitary precautions recommended by... Ribworms? I don't think I've heard of them. It's one of those new off-world things. Whoa, aliens killed your cat. Far out. Phil, uh, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Listen, Phil, I'm coming over. There's a few things I want to talk about. I, I don't think so, Gloria. I've got a lot of stuff I need to do tonight. Eggs can stay viable for up to a year under certain conditions. Litter boxes must be disposed and the surrounding area sterilized with a bleach and water solution. Phil, it won't take longer than a few minutes. Really, Gloria, I'm going to be extremely busy for a while. I'll call you later, okay? Gotta go. Phil... Phil disconnected and hid the phone beneath the couch cushions. He wondered if he still had latex gloves and that jug of bleach under the kitchen sink. The doorbell rang while Phil scrubbed the floor on his hands and knees. He had yet to put on a pair of pants. Earlier, he had thrown out Mr. Prissy Pants's litter box, effectively preventing 23,785 394 ribworm eggs from developing into adults. The bleach solution he had scrubbed into the surrounding linoleum killed another 42,991. What now? Phil mumbled. Absently, he wiped the back of a latex glove across his forehead, smearing 121 ribworm eggs across his skin. A little earlier, the back of Phil's hands had touched a streak of fecal material caused by Mr. Prissypants dragging his ass across the carpet. 1,640 eggs had adhered themselves to his gloves by their sticky outer membrane contact with the skin of his forehead stimulated 115 of those eggs into accelerated development when phil opened his front door he saw gloria holding her two-year-old son michael she shook her son's arm at phil wave mikey say hi to uncle phil gloria i said i was busy you're not too busy to talk to me i could tell you that much Because her vision didn't resolve into the micron range, she failed to see 115 larvae on Phil's forehead burst through two layers of molted cuticula and a chitinous shell. She pushed past Phil into the living room. Won't stay for long. Hey, why is that window broken? Um, I lost my keys. You should really keep a spare, Phil. The spare was inside. Listen, I'm cleaning, Gloria. Gloria. Gloria set Michael down, who crawled off in a random direction, not unlike the 115 larva wiggling across Phil's skin. Phil, there are better ways of dealing with the loss of your cat than cleaning the house without pants. Within seconds, Michael had found Wayne, Mr. Prissy Pants's favorite toy. The stuffed mouse bore the scars of two years of constant gnawing and stank of cat spit, without showing the slightest hesitation the toddler put it in his mouth no get that out of your mouth phil lunged at michael slapping wayne from the boy's hands he hefted michael by the overall straps the latex gloves smearing 215 ribworm eggs into the corduroy that's very dirty michael dirty michael began to cry his face turning red jesus phil don't do that to my kid didn't you see what he was doing I'm serious, Phil. Don't you dare hit Michael. Gloria picked the toddler up, patting him gently on the back. Fifty-two eggs migrated from Michael's corduroy to Gloria's fingers and went into third-stage activity. You don't understand. People can get ribworms, too. Eight larvae wandered into Phil's forehead pores and promptly suffocated in greasy sebum buildup. Well, then, we'll just have to wash little Mikey's mouth out, won't we? She cooed at Michael and carried him into the kitchen. The look she shot Phil would have done a harpy proud. If my kid gets worms because of your filthy house, I swear to God I'll sue. Uh, well, the ribworms aren't really dangerous, Gloria. You, you just need to catch it early and get, uh, Phil ruffled through a pamphlet. A series of three injections to the stomach, neck, and groin. Gloria held Michael over the kitchen sink and splashed warm water on his face. He whined, turned his head, and pressed his lips together, so Gloria dug into his mouth with her fingers. "'Open up, Michael. Swish it around, just like when you brush your teeth for Mommy.' She sneered over Michael's head at Phil. "'How long have we been dating now?' "'Spit, Michael.' She wiped Michael's mouth, depositing 26 third-stage larvae across his lips and chin." Um, about a month, I guess. And in that time, you've lost your job, your keys, and your cat. And your pants, apparently. Now you hit my damn kid. You're a loser, Phil. I I have other pants, Gloria. Gloria took a wet nap from the family-sized pack in her purse and scrubbed Michael's face. He squirmed, but she cleaned with motherly thoroughness, slaughtering the parasites to the very last worm. Gloria wiped her hands and tossed the wet nap to the floor. Goodbye, Phil. She stormed out, taking her son and 163 ribworms with her. The newly hatched worms had burrowed into the corduroy fibers, becoming hopelessly tangled. Within the hour, every last one would die violently during the agitated cycle of Gloria's maytag, victims of a fastidious mother. Phil stood in the kitchen for several minutes after Gloria had gone. He looked at all the cleaning he had yet to do, and he decided to call it a night. He tossed his gloves in the trash and took a shower. The steamy water rinsed all 107 viable ribworms down the drain. That evening, he microwaved his last frozen dinner. For a long time, he just looked at the plastic tray of pasta and peas, one hand on a linen Leinenkugel longneck, the other on his fork. The Tuesday Phil had lost his job, he had stayed out late at the bar. Mr Prissypants had punished him for missing dinner-time feeding by defecating on the kitchen table. A drunken Phil had quickly wiped the spot with a wet paper towel and forgotten about the incident entirely. 1308 ribworm eggs still coated the tabletop. Phil stabbed the ravioli with his fork and bit down, depositing exactly 20 eggs in his mouth from the tabletop. Within minutes, they had hatched. Over the next two hours, 18 of those ribworms died from prolonged immersion in 72 fluid ounces of Kugel amber. After four hours, two worms had reached the adult stage. Phil passed out drunk, oblivious to the groin injections in his near future. Well, that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. Looks like somebody owes V-Burn five bucks. Special thanks to Kim Hill for doing the customized artwork on this story. Let's do double feedback again to catch up closer with the current stories. Episode 51 was the Mystery Island of Doom story, Crimson, by Rob Haynes. Feedback was surprisingly not great for this story. I really liked it, but others, like Bold Deceiver said, eh, this story didn't really affect me so much either way, which is rare for a drabble cast. T Baker said, abject oppression does not a good story make. If I was meant to emotionally connect with these characters, then I needed a lot more information. If this was meant to be a story about the struggles of the human condition, I'll pass. Life is hard enough without listening to a fictional unresolvable situation. Mr. Tweedy, on the other hand, really liked the story, saying, "...this story was flippin' awesome. As a mood piece, I think it was nearly perfect. The deep and detailed description of the killing sea and its emotional impact on the characters, combined with the utter lack of description on a larger setting or any exposition explaining why this is happening, makes the story completely dreamlike and unreal." The next week, we ran Sleep Age by Jacob Sewell, a story about a society dependent on a sleep storage technology. Most people seemed to really like this one, and those that didn't, didn't because they said it was nothing but concept, no character exchanges or plot, really. The discussion then drifted into how legit concept-based stories are in flash fiction. Philippa said, I found that laying out the facts without the distraction of any character interactions in the story left far more scope for my imagination to cook up all the repercussions that the technology would have on people's lives. Camo Blamo said, For me, stories are about ideas. If it works well in audio, and the ideas are strong, I don't really care about how we categorize the piece. Well, there you go. Hey, I've got an idea. How about you join our discussion forums at www.drabblecast.org and let us know what you think about the stories, or what the stories have got you thinking about. If you enjoyed the song at the end of Sleep Age or any of the other songs you hear on the Drabblecast, look for those as separate MP3s on the MP3 section of the Drabblecast website. While you're at the website, you can donate to us via the PayPal button if you like what we do and you want to help us keep doing it. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it with whoever you like, including your girlfriend's toddler. And second thought, probably not your girlfriend's toddler. Anyways, we'll see you next week. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to keep Wayne out of your mouth. Before could move, he was rousted by two Mexicans heavily built. And with the slam on the door, they had Tony on force with the... Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.